Week 14, what moves you? What moves you? I know you're on the live stream, but it's kind of weird in here because what you see is the regular live stream, but we've got a, a wall down and a whole nother, a lot of space on this side, so it, it's a little different. So if you're praying for me that um, I don't get distracted with the emptiness and the construction, but I'm excited for tonight's message. As we continue in our study of Acts, um, I want to remind you that what's going on at, up to Acts chapter 12, that the Jews and the Gentiles are being saved alike. There's no more distinction between Jews or better than this or Gentile. It is the Jews and the Gentiles are being saved, that they're being baptized, both being baptized in water and by Holy Spirit. The church is multiplying. The church is growing. Up until this chapter in Acts, the church has been, if you will, on a streak of success. Now, they have gone through their trials and they have gone through times when they've come against some walls and some opposition. But all in all, the church is doing fairly well. Saul was converted. Cornelius was converted. Gentiles are now believing. Many Jews are becoming believers. And the only person who has died up to this point other than Jesus who never died, someone shout amen, um, other than Jesus was Stephen who had been martyred by Saul before he before Saul became a Christian, Saul being one of the many people who stoned him. Um, but up until this point, um, there, 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 there was pretty much success in the church and the believers were growing and there was no more distinction between Jew and Gentile and they were starting to understand that God had no favorites. Someone shout that out. God has no favorites. God has no favorites. They're starting to, to, to grow and up until this point, the only person that's been killed other than Jesus is Stephen. But in Acts chapter 12, we start to see some tremendous opposition. And we're going to find out that another person dies. So I'm going to jump right in. I'm not sure if this is going to be a long message tonight, but I believe it's going to be a good one. Acts 12 verses 1 through 2 says, About that time, again, this is the time of the increase of the church. Jews, Gentiles were coming together. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. This most likely was a political move on the behalf of King Herod Agrippa. Uh, many people didn't like Christians. In fact, the word Christian came about originally as a mocking term. It was, look at those little Christ-like followers. It was a mocking term. Was, oh, you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You're one of those people. You're the, you're the people who followed that guy that we killed on the cross and you claim he Y'all are Christians. So to persecute what most people were coming against would have been a good political move for King Herod. King Herod Agrippa was looking at pleasing the people. And there are so many times that we get caught up in pleasing people. We stop searching God, we stop seeking out God, and what starts to move us is not so much what God tells us to do, but what is going to be pleasing to the environments that surrounds us. And an interesting development is that King Herod kills James, one of the 12 apostles, one of the disciples who walked with Jesus in his three years of ministry. Now, Stephen had been killed 
earlier in Acts. But Stephen was not one of the original 12 who actually walked with Jesus in the three years prior to Jesus being crucified. In his three years of ministry, James did. And this was significant because James being killed by King Herod destroyed this illusion that the original 12 who walked with Jesus had this unique divine protection that the others did not. The protection of God and what he, and, his, and his favor is not something that is um, unique to the 12 versus us. This is a big deal because just like Stephen, James, who again walked with Jesus, he was killed just like any ordinary man. And we need to destroy the illusion that followers are not untouchable. Because I believe one of the biggest things in the church is that we kind of put off this message that when we become saved, it's almost like we're untouchable and nothing bad happens. And when something bad does happen, the first thing a believer will, does is question, why did God allow it? Why did God do this to me? If God is so great and now I'm believing in him, why did he allow this tragedy to strike my life? I'm a believer now. Why did God let that person die? Why am I still having trouble with money? Why am I still having trouble with addiction? If I'm saved, how come it didn't all fall off? We have this illusion that once we accept Jesus, we're untouchable. But in fact, when we become followers, we're not untouchable. I want to read some scriptures to you in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to skip some verses, but I'm going to start off in 16 through 17. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as dove, but beware, for you will be handed over to the courts, and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You're going to go through some stuff when you claim to be a follower of me. So don't believe this false idea that once you get saved, it's all okay. You're going to go through some stuff. People are going to accuse you. People are going to say things about you. You're going to be brought before the courts. It says you're going to be flogged in whips in the synagogues. You will look like a hypocrite, and people will call you out on it. It's going to happen. A few verses later in verse 22, it says, And all the nations will hate you because you are my followers. It is not unnatural that people who don't love Jesus have an intolerance for Christians. We were told from the get-go, people will hate us because we follow him. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. You know, it's one thing to proclaim Jesus, but it's one thing to live it out and enduring the persecution you get once you become saved. Because when we become saved, when we say, I believe in Jesus, the first thing that happens is people come against you because they compare your salvation experience with your lifestyle. And they say, well, if you're now a believer, how come you still do this? You live like that. You still struggle with that. You will be accused. People will not like you. The nations will accuse you just because you follow Jesus. And the world loves to use the word hypocrite. Well, you still, you a hypocrite because you still got the, you're still going to deal with stuff. Do not think that because you follow Jesus, you just get it all easy. Verses 24 through 25 of Matthew chapter 10. Students are not greater than their teacher. Slaves are not greater than their master. 
Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the, 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 the members of my household will be called by even worse names. Can you imagine that? Being called the prince of demons? And the, 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 he's saying, and people of my house will be called worse names and you get surprised when people come against you simply because you're a Christian? And Christians love to argue when the world comes against us. We get on this high horse and we say, well, who are they to say this? And they just don't know me. And then we start defending ourselves. And that's where the question comes to tonight. What moves you? Christians spend so much time getting offended. And I'm not talking about offended by others necessarily like you. Because anyone that goes to church knows that offense in the church among brothers and sisters, it happens. We get offended by everything. I'm not talking about that kind of offense. I'm talking about being offended by those who are not like you. I'm talking about being in the world and you see friends that you used to hang with, and when they find out you're a believer, they automatically pass a judgment on who you are. I'm talking about your family. You know, this is Mother's Day and people are going to be going home to see their mamas and, or whatever your Mother's Day tradition is and you're around family and, and, and your family knows you better than your church knows you. Can we just get real? They know the flaws, they know the good things, they know the bad things. And it is so easy when you go to your families and go to your friends and you go to your circles for when you just say you believe in Jesus, the first thing they point out is your flaw. What move, Does that move you? Because I know a lot of people, when flaws are pointed out, they start to come into agreement with the flaw and they go deeper in the flaw than, than standing their ground of I am a follower and even though you know my flaws, I'm standing my ground and I'm going after him. But most of us, what moves us is when we're in a room, what we do is dependent upon what the room says. Because it's easy to worship when we're in a corporate setting. I've heard it from many people. I want to get back to church where we can just meet together and, and, and we're not doing a live stream because I just can't get into worship in my household. I've got this going on. I've got this going on. I've got this, this, that going on. What you're saying is what moves you is your need to do what you do in your house rather than put it down and put God first. Because it's really easy to not do things at the house when we're driving to the physical building. But what if a true follower of Jesus says, even in my house, I'm going to put my regular pattern to the side and I'm going to embrace him first. I'm not going to be distracted by cleaning or cooking or, or having to straighten this up or get this ready. I am setting aside my time for my God and only he gets my attention right now. What moves you? Everyone wants to get in the corporate setting. I can't wait to get back and worship. But what is good is your worship corporately if you can't have the same experience individually? Because I thought my God was worthy of praise no matter what. I thought Jesus was worthy of my nasty looking, dancing and singing no matter where I'm at, whether it be in a corporate body or by myself when the only person looking at me is the ones who know me the most. And you want to know why we don't do it? Because they know your flaws and them knowing you moves you to the place of 
I've got to be still. Because they're going to look at me as a hypocrite. They're going to look at me as a fake. They're going, they, they are going to pass judgment on me praising because they just heard me yell at them five minutes ago. They're going to pass judgment on me saying amen even though we just got in a fight six hours ago. Can we just be real? That's what we're scared of. We can't get transparent because we're around the people we know the best. And when someone not pursuing their faith like you sees you acting a little different, speaking a little different, being devoted to different things, it's so easy for them to take a jab and poke. And what believers do is we respond the wrong way. Because what moves us when it should just be God, where you want me, where do you want me to go? Is the opinion of the people we surround ourselves with. And if you claim to be steadfast in Him, why is what they say moving you and causing your peace to be interrupted in your spirit and your soul? I don't know about you, but I've been through times like that. When someone says the wrong thing and the peace of the God who we claim no one can touch, the peace is, it's touched and it's moved. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for him is ever useless. And some of us tonight need that reminder that what you have done for him and what you are doing or praying about or walking in step with, nothing you do for him is useless. Nothing you've done is useless. So do not be moved in what you're doing and how you're doing and when you're doing it. The only thing that should move you is the voice of God. But we are so often moved by everything else. We have a bad day at work. The last thing we want to do is praise. We have some issue with our kids. The last thing we want to do is praise. We have a bad week, and it's hard for us to get back in step with our divine alignment, divine purpose. It's hard for us to accept even that all that stuff that happened is actually part of your purpose because we've adopted this idea that God's purpose and God's plan for my life, it needs to be easy, and it needs to be glorifying, and it, it, every single part of what I do in my life, it just needs to go easily and smoothly because God's going to make it all work together for my good. Well, let me tell you something. God making it work ain't always going to be easy. God can make it work, but the key word here is make. He's got to make it work for your good because it may not have been a part of the original plan. And he says, you be strong, you be immovable. I'm going to need to bend some things that didn't need to be bent. I'm going to need to mold some things I didn't plan on molding. I've got to make some things work for you. And what I need you to do is while I'm making that work and your job work and your kids work and your husband work and your wife work and your family, while I'm making all this work, could you just stand strong and not be moved? But so often we get moved. And can you imagine God, the potter, we are the clay? Can you imagine how much he's got to be molding because he says, could you keep still? Because every time I try to bend something, 
you moved to another place and I got to start all over. He's getting you to a place of absolute peace and one thing happens at a job, one thing happens in a family dinner and you move away from the potter and he's got to start all over again. You were at a place of peace. You were at a place of triumph. You were at a, a high in Jesus and someone says one thing and you're moved to a low place. And now where God had you here ready to move you, he's got to start down here and mold you back up all over again. And we move and we move and we move and we move. Is this okay? Nothing you do for him is useless. Do not be moved. Going on to the next verse, Acts chapter 12, verse 3. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, now remember what Herod just did. Herod killed James. When Herod saw how much this pleased the people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Again, Herod was making political moves. He saw how much killing a Christian pleased the people, so he says, hmm, should I be moved by God or people? Not once did King Herod pray to the God that he claimed he believed in. He said, oh, the people love this. I'm going to do what the people love. And if I can just be real, that is the biggest mistake that the church has made. We make decisions off what do people love. King Herod was in that vein. I promise you that as the apostolic leader of this house, I will never make a move based off what makes you happy. And that should make you happy. You may not like it. It may make you mad. There may be times you want to break my neck. There may be times you want to rip out what little hair I have. There may be times you want to slap me across the face. But I am not going to make a move to please you. None of us should make moves to please each other because if we make moves in line with what he wants, we will all be pleased. It may look different for each other, but because we're standing strong and immovable, we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see the fruit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, and kind. We're going to have thanksgiving when, we're, when God does some things. People are too obsessed with the acceptance of the people around you. And we get moved by everything because we fear losing relationship if we're forced to stand steadfast. You know how many times people make a move when it comes to their destiny with God? Because they value a friendship that they'll lose if they move forward more than moving forward, losing the friendship. And Jesus says, will you willing, be willing to sacrifice everything in order to follow me? And there are so many of you watching and under the sound of my voice right now that you are still nowhere near your purpose because every decision you've made has not been, God, where do you want me? It's what will make everyone around me happy. Or even what will make me happy. And you're judging your happiness saying that his ways and his thoughts could not possibly be better than yours. And you've never said, I want to line up with my father. Father, what do you want from me? What, what is your plan for my life? but we're moved so easily. Matthew 10, verse 28 says this. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to be a people who are only moved based off of our fear and reverence of God and nothing else. You want to know why? 
because it may displease the people around you, but those people will never be able to touch your soul. Yet we move because we allow their words to move us and put our soul into agreement with what they say. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, your emotions. It says here in the passage, those people cannot touch your mind, your will, and emotions. Only God can deal with that. So when we make a move in our mind, our will, in our emotions, and we what we do is we make a wrong choice and we blame it on someone. Well, I wouldn't have done this had they not said that. Let me tell you, they do not touch what's inside of you. The reason you moved is not because of what they said. It was because you were not steadfast and immovable in your relationship with God to say, no matter what they say, I'm not moving. But we blame everything on everything. Well, that person, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. What they said destroyed me. No, what they said did not destroy you. What you received from them and moved with destroyed you. It's on you. And we blame it. Well, you don't know what my father said to me. You don't know what my mother said to me. You don't know what my wife said to me. You don't know what this person said. You don't know what I've dealt with. It doesn't matter what you've dealt with. Because what it comes down to it, no one can touch your soul except for God. That's why he put you in authority over it. He, that's why he said, I want you to be transformed by your mind, your will, and your emotions. I want you to go through that. So stop blaming all these people for you making moves based off of what they can't touch you with. Well, you don't know how they said It doesn't matter what they said. You receiving what they said caused you to make a move. You are the owner of yourself, and you claim to be submitted to the new owner of you. So don't make a move based off of what someone that can't touch you says. Make a move off the one who actually can. Is this okay? Herod was moved by people. So he does something. Verse 4, Acts chapter 12. And then he imprisoned him, again, this is Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. That's, that's 16 soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers for one man. Remember, all Peter was was a fisherman. Herod was like, I need 16 Roman centurions for a fisherman. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot. It says, Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, first thing, well, why wait till after Passover? Political move. Who is he trying to please? The Jewish people. So he says, I'm going to arrest this guy because they liked it when I stoned another one, when I, when I killed uh, James with a sword. So I'm going to arrest their other leader and I'm going to go, I'm going to wait till after Passover so they're all pleased with the timing and everything. The dude put 16 soldiers to protect one man. You know why? Because Herod remembered something. He, Herod remembered this dude, Peter, escaped before. And if you remember the passage, they could not figure out how he did it. The norm of the time was for a prisoner to be handcuffed to one soldier. That was the normative. 
When you got arrested, you were put in a cell, and when you were in holding, waiting for trial, you got handcuffed to one person. And Peter was cuffed and guarded to 16 soldiers, actually cuffed to at least two that we know of. Talking high security, because they did not know how he got out the last time. Something moved Herod to put 16 soldiers with Peter. You know what it was? Fear. He was scared that something was going to happen that would cause him to lose favor with the people he was trying to please. So he takes extra precaution to get his way. And I wonder how many of us spend too much extra time on the security of making things happen that we want rather than walking in step with God. We don't ask God what we want, so we start to put things into play, and we're so scared that what we're doing is going to break that we put up all these walls. That's why so many of us have walls around our heart. That's why so many of us have walls to not let us build relationships. That's, you know, we have so many walls up for protection because you're not standing immovable in him. You're trying to stand immovable in yourself. And because he is the great protector and he is the great defender, because we're not as good at it, we put all these guards up around us. Because we don't want anyone to get in. We don't want anyone to mess up that one more part. And we go overboard. We spend too much time taking care of things that we were never meant to take care of. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions to God, your plans will succeed. You want to know why you're not succeeding in life? You've messed up in all these things. You've made all these decisions. You've made all these decisions without seeking God. And because you've made all these decisions without seeking God, you've had to put up barriers and walls over all yourself because you don't want the littlest thing to set you off because you are, in fact, movable. When God says, if you will commit your ways to me and be immovable, I'll make everything succeed. All I want you to do is stand your ground as a believer and a person committed to living their life for Christ. He says, I'll make your plan succeed. But we don't have time to focus on God because we're trying to protect all of our strategies. Are you moved by your desires or is God's desires replacing yours? And when things go wrong, we start to doubt and we question and we try to reason and we come up with strategy. But I say that these are the wrong things to do because the plan for these followers was to go out and make disciples. Now, when Peter got arrested, I don't know about you, but if I got arrested for preaching the gospel, I would hope in a way that some of you would strategize, like how we going to bust Pastor Kyle out of jail for preaching Jesus. I would hope that. I would hope some of you get your cars and your trucks and get some chains and put on the prison doors and bust me out. That's what I would hope. That's probably what Peter was probably hoping for, like get me out of here. How can? But that's not what the, the, the believers did because they were not focused on what can we do. 
Look at what they did in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I wonder, are you, are you moved by a mind that God says to be renewed? Or when something happens, do you submit to God and get your mind submitted to him through prayer? Every gate in your life can be shut and locked, but the gate to heaven is always wide open. And it's always accessible no matter what you're coming up against, no matter where you are, and no matter who's coming against you. And there are so many times when stuff comes against us, instead of being immovable in our walk with him, we don't go to him and start praying. We start to strategize in every way. Well, how can I fix this situation? Oh, lost my job. Resume, resume, resume. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you rather ask God where to apply and fill out one than spending days filling out 50? Oh, friendship's lost. I want to spend time making relationship here and here and here. Wouldn't you rather spend some time and pray to God and let him tell you where to go so you're not wasting time on empty relationships? But we're moved. Oh, something happens. Oh, I got to get it myself. Let me strategize. Let me figure this out. No, no, no. Look at what they did. They prayed earnestly. That word for earnest right there is the word called ectanos, E-K-T-E-N-O-S, ectanos. Back then, it was a medical term. You know what it meant? It meant stretching a muscle to its limits. It was the same word used to describe the prayers of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayers that were likened to stretching your muscles to the limits. Can you imagine being so desperate for God in your prayers that you're reaching up and you're reaching up so much that, that you're literally straining your arms? This was their mindset. They were praying to a degree where they were reaching out with all they had. When stuff happens, is that where you get? Earnest prayers? Reaching prayers? Desperate, not desperate for an answer, just desperate for God. They didn't start saying, okay, there's 16 Roman soldiers, there's Peter, there's like 50 or 60 of us, we can take these guys out. Y'all willing to die for Peter? No, 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 they didn't do that. They got, they got in a room together and they started praying in a way that looked like stretching a muscle to its limits. They were deep in prayer. And yet, I guarantee some of you that are watching tonight, when you sat down to eat tonight, you spent more time arguing who was going to pray at the dinner table than being quickened to say, let me do it. Because we are not the type of people that embrace prayer anymore. Prayer is something that the preacher does and we bow our heads. But when life happens, no one, no one starts seeking God. It's strategy. Most of our prayers are powerless because it lacks that ectanos, that earnest reaching. Why? Because we're trying to get God moved by what we want instead of allowing God to move us with what he wants. That's being immovable. I will not be moved except for one thing, the voice of the Father that Jesus made a way for me to be worthy enough to listen to. 
some of you may think this is wrong and quite frankly I don't care but we get protocol mixed up Jesus saved you and he says I saved you and I'm going to go to the right hand of my father and pray for you now, it, now we are supposed to give prayers to Jesus of course he is our God but do you realize that he also made a way for you to access the voice of the father but you know why we don't go to father God because the American church has made Father God out to be the mean one, the angry one, the wrathful one. But everything about him is love. I love that my God, my Father in heaven, will be willing to destroy everything around me just to get to me. He earnestly seeks you. Why have we become a people that don't earnestly seek him? What moves you to pray, wanting to God, God to line up with you or you're desperately wanting to line up with him and what he wants to provide? We pray for deliverance all the time. What if God says, not yet? Are you truly seeking God? Because a lot of us want to be delivered out of a situation and we start praying to God. And what if God says, nope, I'm not letting you go yet? Well, why wouldn't God want me to be delivered from an experience? Because you still got something to learn in your wilderness, in your desert, in your place of unfruitfulness. And when, we're, when we are not delivered, instead of embracing that this may be God where, where God wants you right now, we doubt the authenticity of the Father. We doubt how good he is. We call him mean. We say, where's God at? And then we start to make moves to get out of the place we don't want to be instead of being strong and steadfast. And even if God wants me in the most miserable situation, I'm going to stay put until he tells me to walk. Peter's in jail, and all the believers say, we're not going to try to bust him out. We're not going to spend time strategizing of how we can deliver him. We're not moved by... Our emotions were not moved by what we think we should do. We're moved by one thing. What does God want? So look what happens in verses 6 through 11 of Acts chapter 12. I hope this is okay. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Look at this dude. Look at, look at how much Peter looked like Jesus right now. When Jesus was in the boat in the storm, everything going wrong, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Peter is in jail with 16 guards guarding him. His friend, James, just got killed by the sword. Herod was making moves politically, and Peter says, I am going to go to sleep. I am not going to be moved by my situation. I'm not going to be moved by my circumstances. My God loves me. If he wants me to die, I'll take it. If he wants me to move on, I'll, I am not going to be moved. He was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him. You know you got to be sleeping deep if the angel's got to strike you to wake you up. 
I mean, I'm sorry. If I'm sleeping, if an angel comes in the room, I'm probably going to be woken up by light rays coming in my eyelids. I'm going to hear something. No, Peter is straight snoring. And the angel's got to wake up, dude. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. That's pretty, that's pretty gangster right there. You got 16, did I just say gangster? Yeah, we in Savannah, it's all right. We got, we got 16 Roman soldiers guarding Peter and the, one of the biggest soldiers, an angel of God's army, comes down and says, hey, get up, put your sandals on. And, and, and now he says, now put your coat on and follow me. The angel ordered. It wasn't an ask. It was an order. So Peter left the cell. <laughs> Good job, Peter. What just happened? The disciples were praying earnestly with all they had, and God responded, and the, and the disciples and believers didn't even know it. He sends an angel, a representative of himself, into the room, into the cell. The angel wakes him up, says, get dressed, we're going. And Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision, and he didn't realize it was actually happening. This is how much at peace Peter is. This is how much Peter is immovable. He is so standing firm that he is on a mission from God that no matter what the circumstance like, he says, I am, I am totally at peace and I will not be moved. I'm not going to be moved by the fact that I'm arrested. I'm not going to be moved by the fact that I've got 16 people guarding me. I'm not going to be moved by the fact that I might be dead tomorrow. I am standing firm and I am where God wants me to be. What moves you so easily that you cannot even get a peaceful rest at night because you need something else other than your father? What moves you where you can't get out and say hey to people because you're not confident enough in the grace and protection of the father? What moves you to where you cannot have a regular conversation with people because you're so scared of what they're going to judge you for. Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guard posts, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. All the gates started automatically opening. It was like the the God-awful automatic doors at Relentless 505 U.S. Highway 80. If y'all know what I'm talking about, that's why y'all laughing. Can you imagine Peter just walking with the angel, 16 guards, they ain't coming to chase him. The chains fell off him. He's just walking, and gates are opening. And this is after Peter realized. But Peter's thinking, well, this must be a dream. I'm just going to go with it. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Verse 11, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders have planned to do to me. 
God sent an angel on behalf of himself hearing the earnest, reaching prayers of the church. And he just walked out. The chains, the guards, and the doors meant nothing to God. And I believe that we spend more time identifying what binds us than building relationship with the one who frees us. Because we love to do that. We love to come to altar calls because we spent hours trying to identify the chains. I've got this chain. I've got that chain. I've got that wall. I've got this wall. I'm coming against that. I'm coming. We spend more time identifying what binds us than relationship with the one who frees us. What moves you? Because I know a God that can move me out of any situation unsuitable to my purpose off of a simple word. Peter didn't even know what was happening until he was free. And one thing that we deal with is we try to understand the process before we start to walk in faith. We, we love to quote that scripture, we walk by faith and not by sight. But let's really break down what that means. If you walk by faith, you don't need to understand the process to walk through the process. But when God does something, the first thing we do in our minds is, well, how is this going to work? How does this line up? This doesn't make sense. I can't do that until I figure this out. Peter didn't know what the heck was going on. He thought, he thought this was a dream. All he knew to do was just go with it. We, try, we don't walk in faith. We walk by sight, and we want to understand everything. And the fact is that a lot of times when God moves you, you're not going to understand A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, all those steps, until you get to step H. When Peter got free, he said, oh, I see what all that was. What moves you? How it looks? How what you are going through appears to be? Or is it simply the voice of God? John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. Peter followed because of one thing. He knew the voice. He knew the moment that angel spoke that he was not listening to a Roman soldier. He wasn't listening. He knew that what was speaking was a representation of the voice of God. And God speaks in many ways. Sometimes it's an audible voice. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a vision. Sometimes it's through someone seeking God, a brother or sister in Christ. I don't know what it is for you. Sometimes it's through a song. Sometimes it's you're driving down the road and you, and you, and, and you just sense something. But Peter knew what he was listening to, and he moved. Picking up in verse 12. Well, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Again, they were all praying earnestly. What were they praying for? Peter, we, God, let him out. What are we going to do? Verse 13, he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone Peter's at the door. Can you imagine that? 
Peter has been walking out of jail, doors opening, gates flinging open, chains falling off, 16 guards not knowing what the heck's going on, and Peter gets to the place where the Christians were praying, and he can't get inside. It's almost like church for some of us. <laughs> she says, Peter's standing at the door, verse 15. Now remember, all of these Christians are what? They're praying what? Earnestly. And this is what they say in verse 15 when Rhoda says, Peter's at the door. You are out of your mind. When she insisted, they decided, well, it's got to be Peter's angel. You, do you realize how little faith they had in their earnest prayers? Meanwhile, <laughs> Peter continued knocking. Can you imagine, like, Peter has just spent days in jail knowing Herod was about to kill him, 16 guards. He, he had to be woken up by an angel because he was so immovable. He walks through the town. Iron gates are opening by themselves. He gets out of town. Oh, that was all real. He goes to the place where they're praying. He knocks, and she's like, oh, my gosh, Peter. And she goes inside, and Peter's like, let me in. <laughs> let me in. But when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened. There were two James. He said, he said and then he went to another place. Tell them what happened, and he left. They were gathered for prayer. Peter knocked. The door was closed on him. And when she told them he was there, they responded, you out your mind. Now, they had been praying for days. And here is the answer to their prayer at the door. And they don't believe it. They had earnest prayers, but they had faith, what is commonly referred to as the size of of a mustard seed. And this should comfort you because earnest prayers can be accompanied with little faith. But what happens is we're so moved that we don't have earnest prayers and with our little faith, we have little prayer. God doesn't condemn us for having little faith, but he does give us a strategy. You may have little faith and you may not even believe when your answer to your prayers comes at your door, but you better be praying earnestly. All the doors were open, but he didn't walk through this one. And I wonder why that is. As I was studying, I was like, why, why is it all these people are praying, they don't even believe it when their answer prayers at the door, and Peter has walked through all these doors and he can't even get through this one. The prayers of the saints work to release him. But when the answer to the prayer came to him, when the answer to their prayers broke from heaven to earth, chains breaking, prison doors opening, only you have the authority to open the door to receive the manifestation of your answered prayer. And I believe there are so many of us that are so moved instead of being immovable that we pray, we pray, 
we pray, we pray, and when the answer to the prayer comes, we do what Rhoda does. We see a glimpse of the answer, and we close the door. And then we start talking. I had a vision. I had a dream. God did that. I, I, I know the answer. God. And, and, and we don't open the door to the answer. And we go through days and weeks and months where God is trying to get you to open a door to allow the answer to your prayers to get in. But it's so unbelievable that all you can do is talk about what you got a glimpse of. Many of us have received a breakthrough of chains falling off of you, but you won't allow freedom in your life because you keep the door closed because you've got little faith to receive while you pray, 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 and you don't notice the breakthrough when it's standing right in front of you. What if you've been praying, God, this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and then someone steps in front of you and the answer is God saying, receive from this person, let this person in. But because you've got little faith, you say, God, you can't do it through that. I don't have time to build a relationship with that person. I don't have time to open that door. I've got to tell everyone else what I'm, I don't have time to open that door. I don't have time to serve in that capacity. I don't have time to pour into that person. I don't have time for that. I need to tell everyone, hey, we've been praying for this. I got a glimpse of it. I think God's answering, but I, I don't, I don't have time to actually open the door to the answer. The breakthrough came. They were praying but he didn't open the door. Now, Peter finally gets in, and this message is called, What Moves You? And I wonder, because there are times when we finally do open the door, and our faith increases, and I hope, church, we can get to a place where we're praying earnestly, and the earnest prayers are accompanied by more than just mustard seed faith that we pray and we're ready to open doors that don't seem like they need to be open. But have you ever experienced a time of breakthrough and you see the person that's in the wrong get the blessing and it makes you angry to the point where you question the same God who just released you? You ever been a time where you were praying earnestly Maybe you were even steadfasting God. And you were praying. You were like, God, I need this, I need this. And the answer came, but then the, per, the, the, the evildoers got blessed. And, you, and it just it makes you angry. And you, you think to yourself, why is it that in all of my seeking, in all of my prayers, in me standing immovable, why did, why did they get blessed? Kyle, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I went through for all those years. Why didn't they, why are they moving forward? Why are they getting blessed? Watch what happens with Herod. Is it okay? Verses 18 through 22. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. Of course there was. Peter escaped 16 soldiers and doors opened automatically. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, 
Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. That was actually a very common thing. If a prisoner you were chained to escape, you died. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Remember, every, every move Herod made up to this point was all because of one thing, political decisions to please the people. Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The people knew, he don't like us, we need him to eat, so let's try to make a treaty. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. It's kind of funny they put him on blast. Yes, bad joke. Okay, verse 21. They won the Herod's personal assistant support and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them, and the people gave him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. He's angry. He kills guards. He uses his anger and reputation and his ways to intimidate people so that they could get food through a peace treaty when they knew he didn't like them. He shows up in robes. He makes a speech and he gets a standing ovation and the people say he has the voice of God. Look what just happened in this passage. He's done all this wrong killing Christians, but he's advancing, he's getting more power, he's getting more favor. And what moved him was not the voice of God. It was the people's applause. And what moved the people was their need that was in Herod's hands. The only one who should ever get glory is God. The only one who should ever be the resource of our need is him. But what moves us so much is we see when someone has something we need, we'll forsake the Father to go after them, even if it means going back on your belief system. You'll make a peace treaty with an enemy. You'll compromise your faith to build a relationship because I need them. He'll, he'll get, I can get a promotion at my work if I can just bend a little bit to make him like me. Oh, they don't like uptight Christians, so let me compromise in this area, A, B, C, and D, so that they'll like me. I know my Bible says this, but God understands I need to get in with it. No, you are compromising your faith for the applause of man. Herod gets so far. But look what happens in verse 23. And I'm about to close. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and he died. 
Let me just put it to you straight. He was corrupt from the inside out, and he was brought to death from the inside out. He got worms and died. And what can bring us to destruction is when we don't shift glory given to us to the Father, it starts to end us. It works from the inside out. We, we start to advance in our own way by our own deceit. And when we get the applause of people, we take it in. And we stop shifting anything and it, and it, it starts to eat you alive. And oftentimes what begins to move us is not how can I give God glory, but how can I get it? And I believe tonight there are so many people listening to this message that you're realizing, wow, what moves me is I'm being more concerned with how can I get glory rather than how I can give it to God. Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says this, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. What distinguishes you from someone who gives glory to God versus someone who, who is hungry for glory is are you moved by a godly desire or an earthly desire? The scripture tells us things of the earth will pass away. So why is it that you're moved by stuff that won't last but be only moved by the one who is everlasting? And with all this happening, Peter released from jail. A divine release of the jail, the prison doors opening. He finally gets into the house of the believers. He tells them what happened. He leaves. This is actually the last time we hear about Peter and Acts as far as him actually do, doing, doing the work and things like that. We'll find out more about him, but this is the last time he's mentioned right here. He leaves. Herod starts to seem like he's advancing, but from the inside out, he's destroyed. And the last two verses, verses 24 through 25 of Acts chapter 12, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread. And there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. And what we're about to see in the next chapter is the beginning of the ministry of Saul who would later become known as Paul. Herod was judged. The church was blessed. Remember what happened up to this point in the beginning of this passage of, of, of talking about what moves you? Herod killed James, one of the original 12 who walked with Jesus. But the killing of James by Herod did not defeat God's plan. All that happened was while Peter was in jail and while James was dying and while the church was praying earnestly, people came to believe. It kept going. We get so moved by a defeat and forget that God is so much bigger than that one thing we see. 
don't let one defeat move you. Because that one defeat may be what is needed for God to get glory at a later time. It was a defeat to them that they lost James. But within days, more people came to believe in God. Why does God do that? Why, why does God allow defeat? It's not to, to harm you or to make you miserable. But it is so that no credit to me give, can be given to reasoning. That all the credit for God moving forward and the church growing is not by what we do, but by walking in line with what he wants to do. All of these factors in this chapter seem like the church was going to stop. James got killed. Peter's arrested. 16 soldiers. But Herod was advancing. Herod was getting glory. But Peter was never moved. And the believers weren't moved. They just prayed. So what are you going to do when something moves you? You're going to panic and run. You're going to try to strategize. You're going to try to come up with every reason or every way if you can get out of it. Or are you just going to earnestly seek God and let peace guide your soul to where you won't be shaken? You know what's interesting about Peter in this passage? He was moving forward without realizing he was moving forward. He thought it was a dream. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person where I am so not shaken that I don't realize I've moved forward until I look back and see that I'm not where I was. Because I'm not judging progress by circumstances. I'm judging progress based off of the Word of God, based off of the voice of the Father, based off His leading. People thought it was a bad idea to decrease for increase when we, when we left a building to come to a very small space that had been unoccupied for a long time that seated 60 people crammed. There was a church next door to us that had been here for 10 to 15 years. And within six months, God tripled the size of what we're doing. And I don't look at triple the size as the victory. Because the plan is not for God to just say, I'm going to bless you with more space. This is simply a step into what the plan is. So I'm not going to be moved by, oh, we've made it. We've got more space. No, no, no. I'm going to be moved off of, God, where do you want me to go? What's the next door opening? What, 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 are, what are the things that are going to happen automatically? You know what you know what happened here at Relentless? This was automatic. Because let me just tell you, how do, how, do we, how do we get more space? We didn't try. It was an automatic door. Because we didn't move based off of what made sense. We moved based off of God said, Go. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all the things you need to walk in his purpose will be added to you. There's only one thing you need to be moved by, church, that is seeking him and listening to his voice and nothing else. Not applause, not opinion, what makes sense. No, no, no. 
let one thing move you, the voice of the Father.